0: We in the church, especially here in America, I think we fail to do something. I believe we have failed to remind this generation, while that God is love, He also has the capacity to hate. Scripture says very clearly that He hates sin, and He will judge it. Sadly, this generation is schooled in the mindset that to hate something equals being intolerant. They find it very difficult to believe that a, a loving God could actually hate anything. But I tell you this morning, on the authority of God's Word, that God hates sin. Amen. And He hates sin just like any good father is intolerant or hates a rattlesnake that threatens the safety of his child. God In fact, it says it's an abomination. He loathes forces that would pull people into a godless eternity. Just like a mother would see a venomous spider on her baby, she hates that spider. It is for the love of mankind. It is his great compassion for the human race that prompts God to hate certain sins. Certainly he is displeased with all sin, But there are seven sins that God says he absolutely hates. In fact, he says, it's an abomination to me. It's an abomination because God gave the finest and best thing that he ever gave. When God the Father offered God the Son so that we could have our best life, so that we could be reconciled to God. As a result of that, he loathes anything that would hinder our reconciliation to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the seven things that God hates. A couple of weeks ago, as I was reading through scripture, this verse just jumped out at me, this passage. And I said, you know, I think we need to be reminded about the things, especially as you go through it, because it's not what we might imagine. Seven things that God hates. Let's all bow our heads forward to prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for this truth, Thank you that, Lord, you don't beat around the bush. You just lay it out there for us. And I pray the Lord, you'd give us clarity. And I pray the Lord, you'd give us a a good heart to receive the truth. Lord, help us to feel convicted but not condemned. In Christ's name, amen. Can a loving God actually hate something? I love what I read some one wisely said this. They said, God hates so that we can love. How wisely said. God hates so that we can love, love each other and love God. What does God hate, you say? Well, actually, if you read this scripture, God says he not only hates it, but actually it's an abomination to him. And the word abomination there means it's from his very insides. He just loaths it, is reprehensible to God. Solomon answers this in the book of Proverbs. So let's turn there, if you would, please. Proverbs chapter 6. If you're not already there, get your iPhones out or your iPads, or you can look here on the overhead, or you can get your Bibles out. My wife showed me a picture this week, a little video that someone had sent her. And you ought to get this. It's beautiful. It's a little video of Chinese mainland Chinese Christians who got their first Bible they ever owned. And they were holding the Bible, and they were kissing it, were tears streaming down their face, and they just, kept, they just kept kissing that Bible. First Bible they ever owned. Get your Bibles out. Love that Bible. Proverbs chapter 6, let's read it together. Out loud, let's all read it like we mean it this morning, all right? We're not going to beat around the bush here. Okay, ready, begin. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth the discord among the brethren. As you go through this list, if I think something will jump out to you like it did to me. As I was reading through it, I began to see all these body terms. And I realized God was covering us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. He was saying, let's get that whole body into serving God. Now I would suspect that this morning's message is going to be a little bit different in tone than some of the messages. If I would have to say anything, this is a house cleaning uh, message. And if you feel like I'm talking about you this morning, I want you to know something. I am. And um, so I hope that you've got your hard toed boots on and I hope you're ready to receive the truth. The seven things that God hates. Number one, he hates proud eyes. Verse 17 says, a proud look, a proud look or looking at something with a haughty spirit and looking down, we might say. The Hebrew word here would describe something like what we would talk about, egotism or smugness or arrogance. It's just simply looking down on other people, looking down on them just for whatever reason, maybe the way they talk Certain way they talk, maybe their gender, maybe uh, their age, uh, maybe the color of their skin, or whatever. I mean, what side of town they come from. I mean, there's just uh, innumerable reasons that people look down on other people. The Apostle Paul addresses this issue about what should go on in a church and how to make a church function so that it can really make a difference in the community. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, he said the way to fix this haughtiness, this smugness, this arrogance, is to have the mind of Jesus. Just put on the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 he says, let nothing be done through strife, of course. Let's not argue. Let's not fuss with each other. Come on now. No fussing. Let nothing be done through fussing. Or vain glory. There's that word again. Don't look down on other people. Hard to imagine people would look down on somebody else in the cause of Christ, but they do. Verse 5, he kind of sums it up. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, if anybody had the right to look down on somebody else, it certainly would have been Jesus. Nobody more holy than Jesus, and yet he would not rub their faces in the issue of his holiness. He was classy. And you know, there are some things that money just cannot buy. One of them is manners. The other is class. Jesus was a man who had a God man who was a man who was so classy. And there's no greater enemy to the cause of Christ than proud eyes or vainglory. What's vainglory? Vainglory, which is, as the word says, it's empty. (laughs) It's meaningless. It's what's the point because the only nobody cares that you're thinking that you're better than somebody else, but it's vain glory. It's stealing the glory from God. That's why God hates this sin. He hates it because we're stepping in the place of God. We're saying, look at us. Look at me. I'm just like God. The prophet Zechariah weighed in on this issue in the... Uh, book of Zechariah, the prophet was talking about what was going to happen in the future days to Jesus. And he likened Jesus to a farmer. And he said, this farmer was in the house of his friends and he was wounded. As I was preaching through or studying through this message, that verse popped in my mind, how that so often in the church, in the house of our friends, we are wounded, wounded, In the house of our friends. I've been around church for 60 years, and I can tell you that so many people have been hurt in the church, wounded in the house of their friends. Some have been looked down on. Maybe you know, and maybe you've experienced this because of the color of your skin. And I can't imagine anything more terrible than for someone to just categorically just to dismiss somebody because of some bias or prejudice. And By the way, don't buy into the whole racism concept because everybody is of the same race. That's right. There's no such thing as one race or second race. That's a bunch of I don't know who put it all together, but it's certainly not godly. There's the human race. There are angels, but they're not human. There's divinity, but everybody's either a human or they're not. They're an angel. So there's only one race. Now, there are different people groups, to be sure, who have different physical characteristics, sometimes other characteristics. But no, the fact is uh, we're all of the same blood. We all came from Adam and Eve. I mean, that's just a fact. But sadly, some people kind of forget that and they judge people as though they're of a different race. Are you kidding me? But I have also experienced things in my years, minor compared to what I'm sure many of you. I remember as a young minister being marginalized because of my inexperience. I've been categorized because I'm white, I'm male, and I have short hair. (laughs) It gets shorter all the time. I've been criticized because I would appear to be uneducated, too many children, old-fashioned because I still like hymns. because I think the Old Testament is as much the Word of God as the New Testament. And I preach the KJV and so I must be old fashioned. Others however have thought I'm sinful because I had facial hair and we sing choruses. That's just a start. But there are so many people that have their idea of what real Christianity is and so we get wounded in the house of our friends. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that any time we begin to think of ourselves as superior, we are forgetting if there is anything good in us, it is the result of Jesus Christ living in us. It is nothing of our own. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Some believers feel superior to other believers because they receive certain gifts. And as a result of these spiritual gifts, they feel superior. Have you got it? Have you done this or that? And they just feel sad for others who haven't got it. We fail to realize that these gifts were a gift, just that. They were given because of the love of Jesus Christ, fanned into manifestation by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they are in no way due to our goodness. If we're simply willing to receive any spiritual gift, God is willing to use us. God, and let me just give you a warning, anybody who gets proud because of their spiritual gifts or anything else that they think makes them spiritual, here's what scripture says in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit right before us fall. Now we know what pride is, but what's a haughty spirit? A haughty spirit is just looking down, just looking down on people. I will promise you, if you are here looking down on anybody else for any reason, the next event in your life is a fall. And I can tell you that I have seen falls that are just unbelievably tragic. The passionate prophet Jeremiah said, behold, I am against you, oh, proud one, oh, haughty one in Jeremiah chapter 50, in every instance in the scripture, as well in life, you can, we can all see this, God's hand is against pride. It is always associated with failure. Pride never is associated with success, but always with failure. We hear a great deal today about the problem of low self-esteem and There's perhaps something to that, but I can tell you, I think we have a more of a problem of a superiority complex, and that is feeling like somehow we're better than somebody else. It is pride that caused the fall of Satan. It is pride that turned the uh, angel Lucifer into the devil. Pride keeps thousands away from Jesus Christ. It is pride that says, what will my family say? What will my friends think about me? I don't want to look like them, or I don't want to be like them. But I tell each one of us this morning, none of us will get to heaven unless we kneel at the foot of the cross, kneel and acknowledge that we are, a so, we are a sinner and we have broken the commands of God. And God very clearly says that a proud look will get us nowhere but disaster. Pride is so subtle that if we aren't careful, we'll be proud of our humility. Reminds me of the Sunday school teacher that was talking to her class after having told them of the Pharisee and the publican, she said, now, children, after this lesson, let's bow our heads and thank God that we are not like the Pharisee. God hates proud eyes looking down on somebody for whatever reason, because we think we're spiritual or because we think we're better than somebody else. God hates it. Don't think that he doesn't. Number two, God hates lying lips. Oh, be careful, little tongue. Oh, be careful. Verse 17, part B says, a lying tongue. James, the brother of Jesus in the New Testament said in chapter 3, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. We're not talking about some little matter. I'm talking about a world of iniquity. There's just no end to the global disaster. So is the tongue among our members. It defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. So much of our troubles in our churches, so much of our trouble in our country, so much of our trouble in our families and our lives are because of our mouth. Our mouths contain a world of iniquity. Just about every problem you have was started by your mouth and mine. It's just our mouth gets us in trouble. We just, if we just shut up, we would have so m- many less problems. And God hates it. We are so destructive with our tongues. The Bible says it starts nature on fire. These wildfires that we've been experiencing in our state, uh, and some like in Southern California, uh, never been larger. I read that they are taking the man to court uh, and they are trying a man in the Butte uh, fire for arson he, on his parents' property there. He kept a fire, campfire going 24 hours, seven days a week, finally got out of hand, and now he's facing millions of dollars worth of damage, uh, reconciliation, as well as possible jail time all because he had just a campfire. It was just a campfire, but boy, look what it started. And that's what God said, that societies are often thrown into conflict just over the tongue because of big mouths, because of our gossip. It's set on fire of hell. The devil is expressly called a liar because lying serves the purposes of the devil. Certainly, there are bold-faced lies. That's when we are very aware of our falsehood and we just simply say it. You would think that if we say something we know is wrong, we would not be upset when we're called on it, but boy, people that are liars will explode in fury or because it's usually because they are looking for some personal gain. But there's other forms of lying like false promises when we have no intentions of keeping things and we say things to others that we're going to do, deliberately misleading people for personal gain. Lying and deceit destroys reputation and alienates people, not just in families, but on the job and the school and uh, athletic events in the church. Where did lying come from? Well, Jesus gave us his answer in John chapter 8, verse 44. It says, you are of your father, the devil. The desires of your father you want to do. He said to those who are lying, he said, you are just like your father, the devil. Lying tells us who our father is. And a person who is just always lying, it's pretty obvious who their father is. No wonder God hates lying. Human nature is so warped and so twisted because of the fall of Adam, we just see lying become such a part of lifestyle today, and people lie so much. It's so pervasive, one pastor decided to talk to his, converse, his congregation about it. He said, now next week, folks, I'm going to preach about the sin of lying, and in preparation for the message, I'm going to ask all of you to read Mark 17 this coming week. Well, the following Sunday, he stood up to preach and he asked, how many of you took time to read Mark 17 this past week? Nearly every hand in the congregation went up. The minister grinned slyly and said, oh, that's good. The only problem is Mark only has 16 chapters. And now I'm going to preach my message on the sin of lying. Yep, it's so easy to lie, even in church. Proud eyes, lying lips, and murderous hands. Verse 17, part C says, hands that shed innocent blood. The seed of murder, surprisingly, lurks in the heart of even the most respectable person. Today, innocent people are likely around this world to be mowed down by a car or a truck, slashed with knives, acid thrown on them, blown to pieces, all in the name of God, some Radical Islamic terrorists will say, for God, I'm doing this. But let me very clearly say that God is not pleased. In fact, God hates murderous acts of innocent people. It's terrible when innocent police officers who are giving their life to serve and protect called to some scene and then ambushed like sitting ducks by some radicalized Leftist who feel like they're doing a greater good. God hates murderous lying and murderous acts. And then there are evil leaders leaders who are placed into positions of trust, or those who have been elected, put there by people who trust them to lead our nation, who do all they can to encourage women to kill their unborn child. Did you know that the United States is only one of seven nations that allows for elective abortions past 20 weeks? Only there's only four countries that allow abortion up to the moment of birth. America is one of them. You might think that that's not very common and while it isn't as common Statistics show that as many as 13,000 babies are aborted up to just the moment before they come out of the womb. You can quote me on this, folks. God hates murderous hands. That is absolute murder. But an act of murder can be committed in many ways. We can murder our husband or murder our wife or murder our children with constant, unrelenting negativity, both verbal and nonverbal abuse. Oh, the deep, deep wounds that come because we are wounding other people with murderous lips. Not all murderers are behind bars. It just so happens that those who kill others are punished by the law, but many are free, destroying other people, insinuating and saying things that trash somebody else. The Bible says it's possible to strike somebody with our tongue. Jeremiah talked about people who had purpose to kill somebody with their tongue. Have you ever noticed how many more people are so angry today? I mean, I don't know whether it's the uh, anonymity that the internet provides or all these opportunities to blog or say what we want or stand on street corners with signs. I don't know what it is, but I tell you what, I've never seen so many angry people in all my life. Anger-related violence has said that at least one quarter of marriages, middle-class, middle-class educated Americans cite anger as the reason for divorce. Studies show that 79% of violent children, almost all violent children witnessed some form of violence between parents. Today, there's road rage, which honestly, it's so prevalent now. You have to be so careful. You can't just let your feelings get out of even one time or find yourself looking down a barrel of a gun. Road rage is terrible. But now it's gone beyond that. It's air rage. People get on airplanes and flip out. I mean, unbelievable the amount of rage and anger and murderous feelings in hearts today. God says he hates it. Then there are, God says he hates evil hearts. The fourth thing that God hates, verse 18, the heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Now, our legal system judges sin according to the act, but God judges sin according to the evil that's in the heart. Now, all of us, of course, fall into sin inadvertently. We still have to take responsibility for that, but some carefully plot sinful activities. They hurry to execute them, conniving and plotting and making plans. Today, fraud of all type robs people of their needed funds for their life, devastating people. And too often, the most vulnerable among us are being ripped off by other people. I once had an experience in this church. We've had people rip off others in our church. It's terrible people of trust and just unbelievable. One of our elderly brothers was telling me that he was having a hard time paying his security payments. And he had a very humble home. And I know they didn't have anything but just a small income. And I said, what do you mean security payments? He told me that he had one security company and somebody else was trying to get him to switch over. I said, what are you talking about? I said, why do you need a security company monitoring the house? You don't even have anything in there. So I went over to his house and talked to him saw little fraudulent uh, contracts. Man, I, just, I thought, you know what? What a wicked, some wicked salesman got a hold of this guy. He was paying like over $100 a month, like a tenth of his social security. I'm, I'm unbelievable. So I got those people on the phone. I Tried to be calm, but they started giving me an attitude, and I said, looky here. (laughs) Man, I went after those people. I said, you know what? I have no respect for somebody who takes advantage of elderly people, people who make merchandise of their friends. I'll tell you one thing. I have no respect for that kind of stuff. God hates evil hearts that connive and plot and try to take the good, hard-earned money of other people and devastate them. That's just wicked. God hates it. Number five, God hates sinful feet. Verse 18, part B, feet that be swift in running to mischief. As if they were afraid of losing any time to carry out their wickedness. The fact is, the vigilance, the eagerness, the industry of those who pursue some of their evil things shame us who try to live good lives and yet so often do so coldly. There are people in every community who openly and flagrantly just fly in the face of God's law and boast about it and make no pretense of being good. But I'll tell you this, no matter what you might believe or I might believe, and there is no excuse for wickedness. How swift people are often to just run into sin. Once you legalize something, people just run to it. They were already going there, but once you legalize it, they just run to it. Unbelievable. Just a few years ago, a president of the United States stood up and said, I don't believe in same-sex marriage. That was about 2008, 2009. By the end of his presidency, he was doing all he could to make sure that it got legalized, and it did. It's amazing how quick things can change. In 10 years in a country, we can go from something being illegal to something being legal. And once it's legal, people just run into it. And pretty soon they are then advocating it in classrooms and they're having seminars about it, trying to push people into that. And sadly, too many Christians run to the latest gimmick or philosophy or theological bandwagon, jumping into it without doing any of their homework. I will tell you, Brothers and sisters, God loathes this trendy mindset that's just got to get on the latest bandwagon of whatever it is. God said, stop and just get into the book and just have a Bible-based life. There is a sixth thing that God hates, and it is corrupt lives. Corrupt lives. Verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies, seeming similar to the very first part about lying. But in this case, he's talking more about corruptness, people giving false testimony, knowingly doing something to corrupt others. Such dishonesty, such corruption. The wonder God said the the very last step before God destroys a nation is corruption. That's what he said in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 12. He said, when God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Back in Noah's time, it wasn't just one nation or one city; the entire mass of humanity had become corrupt. And I will tell you that we're not far from that uh, age. In fact, the epistles say that when the days become like Noah, when everybody's corrupt, that's when you better start looking up because the Son of Man is coming. And I will tell you, there are so many people that it's just we we live in such a corrupt society. America has its issues, but there are countries all over the world where corruption is just absolutely rampant. It's terrible. But I will tell you this, whenever people are pulling down the fences of morality, it will soon, the nation will soon fall. We can stand in the gap and try to pray and do as best we can, but it becomes too hard. It's not only in big matters, but even in small matters. I read the story about a lady who went to the butcher. She went to buy a chicken for her family's dinner. There's only one chicken left, however. So she asked him to weigh it, and he weighed it. It was very small. And so she said, Do you have another chicken? And he said, Well, uh, yeah. And so he took that chicken, went in the back room, and brought it back out. Put it on the scale and put his thumb on the scale. And she looked at that and Uh, She thought it was a nice chicken, but still didn't like it. She said, all right, I'll just take both chickens. (laughs) And uh, yeah, he found himself in trouble that time. But God wants us to make sure that we keep our lives free from corruption. And then finally, number seven, divisive spirits. A divisive spirit, verse 19 in part B, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, actually, there are many commentaries who believe that when God hates six things, but this seventh thing is an abomination, whereas God hates these other six, some believe that what God was reserving that statement, just an abomination to him, is a divisive spirit. Now, we would think, what's an abomination? There are certainly things in Scripture that God lists as abomination, things like perversion, There are things that are just an abomination to God. And yet, we might look at this one and say an abomination, but it is. God said, he that soweth discord among the brethren. I don't know what it is about some folks, but they just seem to delight in creating mischief between a husband and his wife. What is that? Why would you want to say something to make a husband and wife have a problem? There are folks that just seem to just... Try to make children not like their parents or question them by the use of every means possible to try to alienate the affection of another person. You know, that term alienation of affection is an interesting phrase. Those of you who are older may remember that term, and actually, it was grounds for divorce. Today, because of all the no fault divorces, there are only five states in our nation who still allow people to be sued for alienation of affections. The concept is this, that it is likely possible that this husband and wife wouldn't have divorced had not a third party come in and create a situation. Of course, usually it's talking about an adulterous uh, affair, a a person who gets involved, but there have been many people who have been sued for alienation of affection who were family members, maybe a A child or a a parent who tries to break up a marriage, Um, even counselors who advise people to break up their marriage. And uh, California isn't one of those states that allows that. But I did read in one case that the uh, the wife successfully North Carolina with this particular place. North Carolina is still one of the places that allows that. But this particular wife sued the secretary of her. Husband, he had a business, a well-to-do man, and she dressed so provocatively, so lustfully that, uh, and they proved that she had her. Eyes. She set out to get her claws into that guy, and she sued that lady and won for a million dollars. Alienation of affection. Let me just say about that. Yay, amen, <laughs> praise God. About time somebody paid for this stuff. But the fact is, God hates it when we sow it. Notice what it says, sowing it. Seeds, planting seeds, planting seeds, disharmony, disharmony in churches, saying, listening to gossip, or aggravating everything that is said and done. Well, I, you know, it's that Absalom spirit. Well, if I was king, I wouldn't do that, or I wouldn't allow that. Just stealing the hearts of mankind undermining leadership. Some folks go from church to church, and if some minor thing bothers them, doesn't fit their fancy, they're sure to stir up issues. People just seem like, what's going on? What a, what a headache, what a heartache. You say, well, you know, they need to be... A... No. Let me tell you the tragedy of sowing discord, and I can tell you Not in not only in family and not only in businesses, not only in schools, but let me just tell you the the tragedy of sowing disharmony in a church. The Bible calls a pastor a uh, God calls the man who leads a ministry a pastor. The word Greek word means shepherd, and God purposely used that phrase. Uh, He also calls him an elder. He also calls him a bishop. Those three terms are synonymous. A shepherd. He uses that specifically because that is really one of the, uh, it really kind of describes the overall um, path and uh, what a pastor is supposed to do, comforting the sheep, beating off the wolves, you know, leading them along the path, you know, just kind of watching out for the sheep. One of our families, uh, one of our men were telling me they own several acres out east of town and they have different, you know, they have a little garden and they have a few horses but they also have some sheep. Well, they have, like sheep will do, they brought a ram in and ended up having some lambs, and they were just the most precious, beautiful little lambs, and just those little things are so beautiful and skittish, but just precious little lambs. They came out one morning, and to their utter amazement and absolute horror, there was two or three lambs just ripped apart, dead, bloody, blood everywhere. Some coyote had got in there and just killed them. Now, uh, what do you think the response was of those shepherds? <laughs> "I won't kill me a coyote. I want to kill a coyote." Of course. Do you think they said, well, I just think we ought to be loving to all the coyotes. You know, I don't want to be loving, no. God hates it when his lambs are hurt. And that's the problem with this discord. That's the problem with this disharmony. That's the problem when you create issues, when, you know, you do uh, water fountain theology. You know, stand out there and do some criticisms or little innuendos or say things. You know, I'll tell you this. Yeah, there's big old rams that'll probably be okay, and there's some big sheep that probably just kind of bounce off their wool, but there are precious little lambs in this church. If you say something negative, you try to bring down a minister, you try to pull down that pastor for some ridiculous holy jihad in your warped brain, I will tell you, God pity you because there's going to be some dead lambs. There's going to be some precious saints whose lives are destroyed because you pulled down that church or that man. I just made it my purpose years ago. I would always defend God's man. I just That's it. I'm just not going to do anything but defend him. My pastor, almost 40 years ago, he was a strong leader and uh, got his share of criticisms. But I always stood behind him. I just figured if I didn't understand it, I'd figure it out someday, but I'll trust him until he gives me reason not to, and then I'll just quietly tip my hat on right off into the sunset. But I am not going to bring down God's man. It is not my position. It's not my job. Not my job. Today, you'd say, Well, Pastor, I'll be honest with you, I feel convicted. My answer is good because all of us should. He that say, among us that says we're without sin. We're, I tell you what, the person I'm most worried about is the people who went sit through the sermon and say, none of that touches me. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. We should not feel that way. We should say, you know what, if, that, if that's something you hate, God, I want to take care of business. I want to cleanse this. I want to make sure I get this taken care of. And on the authority of God's word, I will tell you that all you have to do is come to Jesus. He'll wash it away. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become a son of God. Would you bow your heads with me?